Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Fragments of Silicon, now with a special guest, the usual crew, and also... Those actual special guests. Um, welcome to another installment of Fragments of Silicon. Um, joining me this week are Yalix. Hello. Teddy Fan. Yo. Twilight. Hello. And an extra special guest this week, Naka Talele. Hi. <laughs> he <laughs> yes. lives. It's been a while since he's been on our program. I think he uh, did a one shot in 2015. And uh, then not not until today. You know, yeah, it's been a while. Mainly, yeah, it's mainly because well, you have a lot of stuff going on these days, and it's kind of opposite of what we're doing. But you know, <laughs> welcome on the program whenever there is uh, an intersection, and that's happening this week. More on that in the um, interview portion. Um, as it is, it's time for the news, and. Um, Petty Fan, why don't you go first? Because, uh, yeah, this is a, this is a thing that kind of dominated things yesterday. All right. So, do we want to start with the somewhat happy news or the soul crushing depression? Go with the happy stuff first. All right. Well, I did some Black Friday shopping and got myself a Razor watch. I think it's called the Nabu watch. So. That razor was fun. like Motorola or like Razor as in a watch you can use to shave? No, like Razor as in the gaming peripheral company. Right. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So yeah, watch is usually two hundred bucks. I got it for like sixty. So I also did some other Black Friday shopping, but that was mostly for the family and they're gonna be paying me back. Um I got Pokemon Sun and Moon. Well actually Pokemon Moon, so been trying to play some of that. And uh, I guess time for the kind of sad bits. First off, my com- my cooler and my computer is starting to die, so I had to order a new one, so that was fun. But it happened on Black Friday weekend, so I got a good deal on it at least. And yesterday, we had to put my mother's cat Penelope down. Because she had a virus called FIP, which is a fairly rare disease. Only like 5% of cats get, but 
it is 100% lethal and there's no treatment for it. You said so, it's or, organ failure due to fluid buildup doing it's, things? It's a fluid buildup thing that, crush, that starts crushing their organs. And there's nothing that can be done about it. Mm. So yeah, it's, there's literally nothing we could have known she was had it. It's a mutation of a virus that most cats already have. Like, if there's only like a 5% chance it'll mutate and become fatal. So that's been kind of sad. And, like, we've just been watching her brother because since they're litter mates, we want to make sure he doesn't have that problem, too. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this the second one of your mother's cats that you had to put down this year? The, no, this is the first cat we've ever had to put down, but okay. um, Bell died of natural causes. Ah, there we go. That's what... So, yeah. It's not been a good year for cats. No. And, um, did you talk about your knee yet? Oh, right. So, for... I don't remember if I've talked about this, but I injured my knee a while back, and I've they want me to do physical therapy, but I can't afford it. So I just was told today that I need to have an MRI done to rule out whether or not I need knee surgery. So that's going to be fun. Oh boy. I've been pricing laptops to see if I can at least get something to do the show with, since I probably won't be able to climb stairs if I need knee surgery. Mm. So I want to see about getting that in order. Is it be easier just to plug in my laptop and some headphones than, you know, try and have someone help me up the stairs just to do the show? Uh, other than that, I don't think of anything else that's going on. You know, my mom has been doing fine after her shoulder surgery. A little bit that's needy, good. but doing fine. Yeah. Um. For um, people just tuning in to our show, we have a song called. <laughs> yeah, we yeah we, we we haven't got it in full protection yet, but but the the universe hates petty fan theme song is uh is 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 uh in conceptional stages. Quick, yeah. send some money to Keith. He'll probably write you some music for it. Well, I mean, Dallas was debating singing it yesterday, and I said no. You know, yeah, no. yeah, that that would have been considered rude. Yeah, I knew I knew it wasn't in good taste. Yeah. <laughs> well, you brought it up on air. I'm like, just no, 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 don't do that. Anyway, um, speaking of which, uh, unless you got any other uh, things to tell us, Betty Pan, uh, we're moving on to Galax. It's fine. You can move on. All right, uh, you're up. Uh, it's been pretty quiet around here. I kind of got into some bad sleep habits over the Thanksgiving break, but uh, working on that. Um, Trying to spend some time. We just got a new game for the show for next week, and I still need to play some more of Xenoverse 2 so I can get to the part where you can do multiplayer, which we're going to be trying to do at some point, I believe. Um, Although I pretty, much, that, hmm? I pretty much recused myself from Xenoverse 2 because I just don't have the time this week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, continuing on. Uh, yeah. Other than that, uh, home and work have been pretty okay. Uh, most of my time, aside from that, has been absorbed by playing Pokemon Sun and Moon. 
because I am the kind of person who has been playing for like 30 hours on both versions and has not yet cleared the second island <laughs> on there. So, uh, yeah, that's just the kind of... I, I spend a lot of time on games like this. I think I, uh, in fourth generation, I think I maxed out the clock on two separate versions of Pokemon Pearl. Jeez. So, yeah, that's what most of my time has been. Right. I've been really en- I've been really enjoying it though, and I think they've made a lot of good inver- in- improvements this generation. But we'll probably end up talking about that at some point, so I won't go into it in great depth now. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, anything else? Um, not really. All right, Twilight, you're up. Um. Well, had an enjoyable Thanksgiving break, and um, went seeing um. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them during that time. That was a good movie. Um, not much else um, for personal stuff, but um, in terms of games, I got Pokemon Moon, but haven't played too much of it. Uh, otherwise, I'm playing Final Fantasy XIV and um, uh, Xenoverse Two. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Um, you haven't been ha- having to deal with any raging wildfires, have you? Um, actually, today the um, the rain that we had um, put those out. Yeah, the rain. The ones in Kentucky, at least. Unfortunately, Gatlinburg. Uh, not about them. Right. Well, that's one thing torrential yeah. rain is good for. Uh, well, as long because I know uh, the Smoky Mountains are. Um, Quite literally on fire right now. Yeah, part of Appalachia. <laughs> um, I think that's happening in Tennessee. Yeah, it's in Tennessee. I wonder if that's irony or if that's what they were actually named for. I doubt. I doubt that. <laughs> I've been there. There. Where fires happen. What? Smoky. No. <laughs> Smoky oh, Smoke. <laughs> yeah. Um. Right, so uh, is that all? Yeah, that'll be it. All right, uh, I guess it's my turn. Uh, Thanksgiving break um, went well for me. Uh, You know, it's like, though, even on a break, I can't escape from this job of mine. You know, it's like I had to, you know, I spent a significant portion playing um, God Eater 2 and an even more significant portion playing It'll Do 2. See, that's part of the reason I, I don't have time to play Xenoverse too. It's like, uh, not only have, do I have to prepare for this show, and we've had, uh, this is our, actually our second show of the um, week, um, not including reviews, but yeah, um, for those who are old school, um, we do reviews and we do European or um, usually European interviews on Tuesdays, but um, this past Tuesday, we interviewed Ace Team. Um, they're the creators of Xenoclash and um, Rock of Ages and all that. They're, they're from Chile. Um, only Gallic showed up for that one, uh, and we didn't have any music because of Petty Fan's um, pet dilemma there. Yeah. So, um, But, yeah, um, uh, we reviewed God Eater 2, and it'll do 2 during the weekend. Uh, those reviews are up and um, available. And we are preparing for more uh, reviews this weekend. Um, more on that at the end of the show. Um, 
Thanksgiving, um, I did. I actually took the entire day to do nothing but watch MST3K because they had the marathon. <laughs> well, I just said, I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing any games. I'm not doing any planning. I, I'm just going to enjoy the day. Like, and um, let's see. Haven't done any holiday shopping because um, the check engine light on my car lit up a few days ago, and I'm taking it in tomorrow. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but you know, with the like, it's been triggered in the past. I think it's because of the cold weather recently. But mm-hmm. at the very at the very least, they had to turn that shit off. Like, it's not the first time th- th- that light has been triggered, and it's been nothing. Although, if it happens to be something, well, that's something I'm going to have to cross tomorrow. It's also my mother wants a new computer chair for Christmas, and you know th- that's going to be kind of expensive. So yeah, I need to I need to get requests from my parents for what to get for Christmas. Yeah, I'm like, um, so that's kind of where my holiday shopping is. There, I'm like, I, I figure it, at the very least I might buy something after Christmas because you know. That's uh, that's actually a really good time to get deals. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, right. Like, the um, week just before Christmas is usually when the stuff's at their lowest price. Right. Um, anyway, I think that's about it. Um, no, that, nothing else I, I can think of. So, merrily we shall roll along to the interview portion of uh, the broadcast. And this is a big reason why Knock is here this week, because... Today we are interviewing um, Madam Barry or um, Diane Mueller of Madam Barry Games. Hi. Hi. So, how are you doing uh, today? Pretty good. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. It's been kind of a slow day, but for me anyway. But other than that, good. Right. And then just to note, Naka may chime in um, occasionally during this interview, but he's not going to be the focus. So, just want to get that out of the way right now. All right. Um, anyway, so uh, we usually start. <laughs> anyway, so we like to start our interviews by getting to know the person behind the game or games. And we start by asking, um, what got you interested in video games in the first place? Um, so, it was, I guess, kind of in, in high school. I mean, I've played video games most of my life, but I guess kind of in high school. Um, it was kind of the thing to do when I was the, at that age to have a Gaia online account. And at the time, they were doing uh, kind of an MMO. It was really just kind of a multiplayer flash game thing. And Anyway, I got into the beta for that. Um, and I talked a lot with one of the higher up, like, I don't know if he was the creative director or what, um, but he was one of the lead developers on that. And I don't know why at that point um, it hit me that making games was something that people do. <laughs> but I guess it didn't hit me until then that that was a job that people have. But I guess at that point that was uh, where I got interested in, in uh, games. And um, what sort of systems did you play growing up? Um, my dad had an NES that we had for the longest time. And when I was 10, he sold it 
which he regrets. Um, but he sold it so he could get us, uh, game, my brother and I, Game Boy Colors. And so the Game Boy Color was kind of the first system that I really, like, owned. Um, but we had this kind of rule in our household where if we, like, get a system, we have to sell our old system. So we never had more than, like, one at a time. Um, I think eventually we convinced him to get a PS2 without selling our Game Boys. Um, but for the most part, I played Game Boy, Game Boy Advanced, and PS2 games. Um, some of my favorites were Dot Hack, um, Golden Sun on the Game Boy Advance, um, Pokemon. <laughs> right, and um, shifting focus a bit, um, how did you make the path towards um, making games professionally? Um, did you go to university for that, or like, did you work in another uh, line and uh, jump into video games? Yeah, I actually did go to college for um, game development. Um, the the college that I went to pretty heavily focused on AAA development, um, which I'm obviously not doing. So I'm not certain how useful I'm, I, how much use I'm making of that degree. Um, but I, I overall, it was a very good experience. Um, I I think I decided to go to college for huh? game design like halfway through senior year. So like kind of late is when I finally pinned down exactly what I knew what I was going to do. Um, but from there I went, I initially went in for 3D modeling and then decided like, no, I, I really don't enjoy 3D modeling and then transitioned more to design and like understanding the fundamentals of game design instead of like art production. I can relate because, uh, you know, I went to university for a completely different purpose than I ended up working at. You know, it happens. Yeah. yeah. But, I'm not a uh, professional linguist. Yeah. I'm not a, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. working in the field. I'm working in communications in the game industry. <laughs> so, life is strange. Like, but anyway, um, did you ever think of applying to the AAA scene, or were you always aiming at the indie devs? I think in high school, I, I I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in high school, but I think in high school, I had this idea that that was the only thing that you could do, um, was like become a, a AAA game developer. And then like halfway through college, I had thought that I maybe wanted to work at um, kind of a whatever they're calling it nowadays, triple indie or whatever, like one of the higher end indie developers, kind of like maybe on the level of like super giant games or something like that, um, which I hold them in, in very high regard. But like something like that was something that I thought I wanted to do. Um, but they, you know, companies that are at that size don't really hire very often. Um, I think you could make a good case that the uh, size of company needed to be a functional figure in the uh, video game industry has been shrinking steadily even over like the last 10 years. So it depends on um, your perspective, I suppose, but I mean, you know, you, you, you do still, she's talking about places like obsidian, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that uh, are, they're fairly big, but they're still considered to be indie because, you know, they, they still have to do all their all financing and all that stuff. Mm hmm. 
you know, versus even like the smaller publishers, uh, say a Deep Silver or a THQ Nordic. It's like the line between like small indie and AAA is really blurry right now, especially since um, AAA development often does indie projects. Like uh, Ubisoft has a you know Child of Life and Grow Home. Back them, yeah. You know those are like considered to be indie games, even though there's nothing indie about them. And that all goes back to the old argument of what is indie. Like, is indie an aesthetic, a style, or is it, um, you know, the amount of people you have in your company? Like, but or is it something financial? Yeah, like, uh, it's like if you want the technical definition of what an independent developer is, um, you know, that goes all the way up to, like, Insomniac and Valve. It's any company that um, isn't listed on the stock market or isn't part of a public company or something like that. But, you know, for our purposes, indie is, is more the, uh, you know, um, individual to, like, 14 team um, companies out there. Um, anyway, uh, it wouldn't be the show without a tangent or two. <laughs> Sorry. But, um, anyway, so the, um, uh, how has the indie scene been for you these past couple of years? I mean, it's a little difficult to um, to answer that as a solo developer because I don't I don't I don't work with a team, um, and I also hmm like I, it, I I do like all of my own stuff, so the the best I can do is sort of yell about it on Twitter on my own. So it's it's kind of difficult to say how the indie scene has been. Um, I don't live in an area that has a particularly large game development scene, although there there is a bit of one. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I recall you, you guys went to a convention recently. Yeah, we went to... Uh, Last year, it was called the Ohio Game Development Expo or Game Developers Expo, one of those development or developers. Um, this year, they changed the name to GDEX. I don't think it stands for anything, so I don't know why they chose that. Game Developer Expo. Sounds like Game Developer Expo or Game... Yeah. Um, game Dex. Somebody asked one of the people who runs it if it stands for anything, and they were just like, uh-huh. So, mm. <laughs> um, but there is kind of a growing scene in Columbus, Ohio, which is, we don't live particularly close to there, but it's close enough that, like, we can go to a convention there, you know, mm. once or twice. Um, right. Uh, yeah, we don't get too many developers out of the upper Midwest. I mean... Not shockingly, like the uh, like the vast majority of our American interviewees come from California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, California, Washington, uh, right. Austin, Texas. Yep. Oddly enough. You know, it's like we don't get a lot of people from the East Coast or like the Midwest. We we, we do get some people, but I'm like compared to like um, the amount of people from California, Oregon, or Washington, um, it's. You, know, you can see where gaming culture is centered. Yeah. 
all of my friends from college have moved to Washington, and I'm like, take me with you. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can understand. Like, you know, living here in Florida, like none of us are located near any gaming conventions or any of that, and you know, it doesn't impact our ability to meet people. Yeah, so we know the feeling. There's nothing here. <laughs> Same. Galax, you're the best of us because you live near Boston. Or close yeah, I am technically within a day's travel of Boston, although it's like a three-hour drive-ish. I, I think Boston might be the biggest. Um, it's either that or New York City. Like, I'm honestly not sure. Like, but I know I, I do know also- Boston. Technically within one really long day's drive, but I've never been there. Whereas I have family yeah, for a in the while, Boston. For a while, it looked like Boston was going to be kind of an indie mecca. I think, honestly, Massachusetts, especially around Boston, is just far too expensive. But you know, so are some of those other places. Yeah, yeah I, cities, that's cities in general. Yeah. Um, let's see. Anyway, so... Uh, one thing I want to talk about is, um, and this may be a bit on the controversial side, but unfortunately we don't get a lot of female um, developers on our program. You know, um, how are the gender dynamics uh, for you like? I mean, like, have you ever encountered any resistance to the fact that you're a game developer, for example? That's always the question. Um, no, actually, I'm very lucky to have not experienced. Uh, any gendered harassment or anything like that. I know a lot of people who have, um, especially like firsthand in in college, overhearing some of the other students' comments about female students um, was ridiculous. Um, And I know a lot of people who I follow on Twitter especially have, I've seen a lot of people go after them but personally, I haven't experienced any of that, and I'm very thankful for it. That's good to hear. That's very good to hear. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it is. It a, proves the entire internet isn't full of assholes. <laughs> I do occasionally get like randos on Twitch come in and like go, oh, "You're not using a real game development engine." I'm like, "Okay, this is apparently a fake engine." <laughs> What is a you can only real... make fake video games. I can... my, my games aren't real. I, I assume a real video game engine uh, has a name that involves Unreal or something. <laughs> it's not real if you've coded, or it's it's not real unless you've coded it yourself from scratch. Apparently. Right. Well, apparently we have yeah, a lot. We of... build our games in assembly. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, apparently we have a lot of fake game developers on our program because um, I've lost count of the amount of people who work in Unity. Yeah. Like Plenty of them. Seriously, it, it's when somebody even works in Unreal Engine 4. Or <laughs> Anyway, so what uh, game engine do you primarily work in? Um, I use Construct 2, which is um, mm-hmm. primarily an HTML5 engine, although they've developed wrappers that allow you to export to pretty much anything that takes HTML5. So you can actually export to um, Wii U and Xbox One, although Sony does not support HTML5, so PS4 is out. Mm 
Um, and you can also export to like executable and mobile. Um, and it also makes web web games with HTML5. Is that what attracted you to Construct? Um, what attracted me to Construct was mostly the the visual nature of it. Um, it's kind of looked down upon as like a drag and drop engine, but it is incredibly complex once you like actually get into the event system. And it's structured linearly like code. So you read it from top to bottom just like code. Um, none of that like weird, if anybody's ever used Unreal, that like blueprint crap that you drag nodes gives me a headache. <laughs> if I could interject real quick, um, I think if Construct has any bad press, it's mostly due to the same thing that happens with most any engine when people use predominantly pre-made assets. Mm -hmm. Like, how many Unity games have you seen? How many uh, Unreal Engine games have you seen that are made so wholly with the default assets that you can, if you see it immediately and go, yep, that's an Unreal Engine game. Yeah. Yep, that's a Unity yeah, Engine we, game. We yeah. have plenty of experience with people on this show being using things that often are used for that kind of game, but just because your game is made in an engine that allows that doesn't mean your game is like that. Yeah, and that's, yeah. it's the same thing with Construct, where you can, they make it very easy to make games that look like they were made, they are Construct games, but if you actually put a little legwork in yourself, you can do some amazing things in Construct. Yeah, there's a game, um, there's a game called, I think it's called The Next Penelope or something like that, that was made in Construct 2, and I swear to God, that game does not look like... It, it looks like it was made in Unity, in 3D. I don't know how they did it. Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like... I think when it comes to 2D engines, the one I've heard the most flag about is um, Game Maker. Yeah, um, Game Maker gets a lot of flag. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was also some flack um, with Mono Gamer a few years ago, but uh, that's before like games like Hot Mi Hotline Miami came out. So, yeah, it's like every game engine has its down uh, ups and downs. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, it, it's a tool set. It, you know, if you want to, if you want to throw somebody under the bus, throw uh, throw these asset flippers. You know, the, the ones who are, you know, just lazily purchasing stuff and slapping it together and calling it a game. Like, you know. Anyway. Um, so, let's talk about your actual game projects. Uh, now, you do a lot of game jam stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what sorts of games have you made for, like, Loveland Dare and the like? Um, okay, so, back in college... I made a couple of games. One of them was Cadence, which was... Um, for those unfamiliar with game jams, typically they, they run for a limited amount of time and you're given a theme at the very beginning of the game jam. So you make a game in, say, 48 hours with the theme that you're given at the very beginning of the 48 hours. So you don't know what you're going to do until you're given that theme. Um, the theme we got for a particular global game jam was, it was literally like a sound clip of a heartbeat. So there, was, huh. there were no words or anything. It was a sound clip of a heartbeat. Um, so we made a game about a 
kid who's recently diagnosed with a chronic illness, and she's navigating um, these stages that are based on the stages of grief. And it's a platformer, and you can only see when her heart beats. So, like, when she's running faster, her heart beats a little more, uh, or faster. Um, And so your vision is limited to these, like, ripples, these, like, sound ripples. So there's that one. Um, Visual Out, the game that I'm working on now, actually started as a Ludum Dare project. And the theme was entire game on one screen, which was kind of supposed to be a mechanical limitation. Like, you you can't, like, scroll at all. Your entire game has to be on one screen. Um, And I, I tend to not like those kinds of themes. Um, just because you you tend to see a lot of the same types of games when you're given a mechanical limitation. People tend to take it at face value, and so you see a ton of the same types of games using the the theme, like, entire game on one screen. Um, they When they announced the theme, they tweeted a picture of a TV monitor, and so I was like, what if entire game on one TV screen, and I put like the um, the rim of a TV screen as like the outside of the uh, game mm-hmm. view. Hmm. And so I, I don't know. I guess I was trying to be clever, but I don't know. It sounds clever to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also. I mean, I've seen some of the games that were the one-screen limitation games, and some of them were clever, but uh, some of them were just kind of... A while ago... I guess ago, you, run the severe, you run the severe risk of having not all that much to it. Yeah, a while ago, um, Naka Let's Played a game by Daniel Linson called Birdsong. Oh, which, that game was amazing. That was the uh, That was the winner of that particular Ludum Dare, and it deserved it. It was so good. It was it was a Metroidvania where it was all on one screen because he shrunk the entire screen, the entire game down, and then like bubbled your vision so that it was like this fisheye lens around your character. It was so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember that game. Uh, yeah, that was one of the ones I saw because, I mean... Spoilers, I watch a lot of Naka Let's Plays, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think everyone here does. Like, yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, a bit of an aside for those who aren't familiar with our broadcast. Um, all three of our, uh, my co-hosts here um, came over from, like, Naka's videos. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so that's your game jam stuff. Um, your first major project... Um, is a game called uh, not Visual Out, but um, I'm trying to remember. Sorry, um, Fragile Soft Missions. Uh, there we go. Sorry, uh, yeah. Fragile Soft okay. mi- uh, Missions. Is it Missions or Machines? Machines. Machines. Right. Um, and this is a game where you play as a wounded butterfly, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, where did that idea come from? It was kind of a mismatch of things. Um, I I kind of wanted to convey... 
I guess sort of a feeling, sort of in the same vein as uh, Cadence, which is the, the platformer with a, a kid with a chronic illness. Um, I've had kind of a, a tumultuous medical history, so I, I guess I tend, tend to use that as a theme sometimes. So this, this butterfly, um, its wing is torn, so it, it can't do the thing that it was like literally built to do, which is flying. And so I kind of wanted to explore it, the idea of it um, still being able to make its way throughout the world despite that. Um, I also came across this font that I used, and I the the biggest mechanic that I wanted to implement was the ability to input like a word or a story or whatever, and then for like a garden to grow out of your stories. Um, so you go throughout this world as a butterfly and you're given like story prompts and you write about like what, you know, what you're saying back to this narrator who's talking to you or what your feelings are of the environment that you're in. Like you walk into this place with a bunch of mushrooms and you can either say it's like gross and disgusting or you can like talk about how like warm and comforting it is or whatever and the stories that you write grow into this garden that you grow as you go throughout this world um is this procedurally generated um no it's it has a non-linear but like concrete story so there are a couple of paths that you can take um but it's all like pre-scripted um, and um, how many uh, like storylines are are there or branching paths? Um, it kind of depends. There are two main ones. Um, with I think three or four different endings. Um, so it kind of branches off into two m- main paths, and then you can kind of go and backtrack and make smaller branches. Um, and then it convenes into one path again, and then splits off into like three or four different endings. I don't remember. And um, from what I'm gathering, you're, uh, you seem to be on the side of the games are arts. Um, you know, that's a whole debate that's been going on the past couple of years. <laughs> I think well, games can be whatever purpose you set them out to be. So if if you set out to make pure entertainment, mm-hmm. that's fantastic, and you know that's your game. And then if you set out to make something more, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, the more variety, the better. Like if you set out to make a game that's purely a like feel piece or whatever, I think there's room for that. I think there's room for for everything. I would agree. I mean, you know, we have of all sorts on our program, you know, mm. from the from the traditional to the very, very avant-garde. And, um, you know, gaming is better when there are when there's more diversity. I know mm-hmm. that flies in the face of certain elements that are in the scene, but yeah, that, that's our official stance. And you know, everything I've seen from you is is very artistic. Mm. No. Um, but now, I suppose we should um, 
uh, unless there's anything else you wish to convey with um, fragile soft machines here, we should move on to your current project. Okay. Now, um, now uh, for those, for the uninitiated, what is this game Visual Out? Um, Visual Out is a Metroidvania set okay. inside of a dying computer. You play as kind of a uh, rogue or escaped program that the operating system isn't particularly fond of. Um, kind of trying to piece together what exactly happened to this computer and like why it's abandoned and dying. I think I can see the chronic illness uh, motif in this one. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, right. Um, so I suppose the first question that comes to mind is why a Metroidvania? Uh, title. I, I kind of just wanted to make something that was um, embracing exploration, and I, I did want it to have like traditional game mechanics, so to speak. So I didn't want it to be just like you walk around and stuff, which I appreciate, but I didn't want to make that at the time. So I kind of chose that genre because it, it exemplifies what I wanted to do with the game the most. Right. And, um, well, I suppose the question that I'm getting at is, how are you going to make this game stand out in a sea of Metroidvania titles? Seriously. Yeah, that is, that it's is one of the things that I'm... Yeah, we have had a lot of people who are making this kind of, you know, uh, a Metroidvania game in some fashion on the program. I'm mm-hmm. like, one. <laughs> <laughs> You're the competition. Uh, I, I suppose uh, you know, we can get to Walt Gaia uh, in a little bit, but uh, in a few you know. years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the, the day the sun dies, add ten years to that, right? <laughs> Something like that. I mean, Knock has been working on Walt Gaia for the entirety that I've known him for. Eventually. <laughs> uh, I'm like, but that's another thing. Um, you know, uh, Point is, so, uh, is there anything that would make um, Visual Out stand out from the pack? Yeah, that's kind of something that I've also been been grappling with, especially um, after Axiom Verge came out, like a couple months or whatever into development. I was like, oh, this game does like everything that I want to do except with guns. <laughs> um, I think some of the key things that I wanted to do with Visual Out that differ a bit from the traditional Metroidvania um, recipe, I, whatever, I I wanted there to be a less less of a um, focus on combat and just like shooting things to get rid of them, and more of a more of a focus on um, thoughtful exploration and kind of a bit of puzzles um, and using glitching enemies to your disposal and kind of like outsmarting them or tricking them into doing what you want them to do. Um, The visual style of the game is definitely something that I've heard from a lot of people is pretty unique. Um, So that's something that I need... and pushing um, in terms of making it stand out. Um, but also the 
I guess, more thoughtful exploration is something that I want to, and, and the glitches is something that I want to explore more and really push so that it's more unique. That would be interesting. Yeah. It's like, I mean, especially since exploration is a key uh, component of, mm-hmm. you know, especially like the Metroid games. Now, uh, you know, Castlevania, uh, there too. Uh, Castlevania, usually a lot of the exploration is less where is anything and more gotta find every little nook and cranny. Yeah, they do have significantly different um, design aesthetics. And, you know, usually when when Metroidvania titles go to the the template, they're aping Metroid and not Castlevania on that regard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, what sorts of power-ups are you looking to include in uh, visual? So, so far, there's a tether that lets you attach to objects and move them around. It's not a, a grappling hook, which I think some players were a bit confused by that. It lets you move objects instead of like you swinging from them or something. So they come um, to you, totally. not you go to them. Yeah, basically. Um, I have recently implemented something that is very highly requested, which is like actually freely moving the object um, instead of just tugging it along. Because it was kind of like a leash before. Like you grabbed mm. it and you pulled it with you. Um, but now you can actually like physically move it around the space without moving your character, which is nice. Um, so there's the tether. Um the big one that you get is called the jammer, and that's it's your glitch everything button. Um, it basically deploys like a jamming field around you, and it's one of my favorite visual effects in the game. But it it just it glitches stuff. Um, the official description in game is the jammer does something. Experiments are needed, <laughs> mm. um, which hopefully. Let's the player know. Use it on everything. Yeah, have, having that as one of your ideas and then playing Axiom Verge, I can definitely see being a little bit concerned because they have a thing that does something similar yeah. to that. But. Yeah, they're Disruptor. I was like, oh, that does everything that I want to do and maybe better. <laughs> yeah, it does have, sound a little bit different, though. Yeah, we had Tom Happ on the show uh, while Axiom Verge was in development. Hmm. Like you know, in, that game is really inventive. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he also spent like five years making it. Yeah, uh, Visual Out has not taken quite that long. <laughs> well, how long have um, you been working on Visual Out? I have been officially working on it since August of 2015, so about a year and a half ish. Mm-hmm. Um, it did start from a. Ludum Dare, though, which was, I think, December of 2014? Sounds about right. Something like that? So, I mean, there were, like, there were two days in December, and then I didn't work on it until the next August. So. So, that's a fair fair amount of time. Um, Pretty typical for uh, even, like, indie projects, because... You know, one thing that people who don't make games are, you know, 
they don't realize these games take time to make. Yeah. I I don't I do know I can't I don't have the um budget really to spend like 5 years on this game. So unfortunately, it's not going to be something that I am able to um invest that much time in like polishing, but All right. Um, well, how far along would you say uh, Visual Out is at this point? Um, more than halfway done. I'm. We're looking into the second ninety percent of the game. Yeah, the second ninety. <laughs> We're not quite there yet. I still have content to implement. Once it's content complete, that'll be the second ninety percent. Right. Um, I'm hoping for maybe spring of next year release, but stuff happens. And I've already pushed that. Like I was, I was hoping to have it done this year. Obviously, that's not going to get done. But <laughs> uh, that's understandable. I mean, we just had a conversation like that um, yesterday with eighteen. You know, they mentioned all their content was complete, but they're in the polishing phase, and that's taking forever. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's like it's not easy to polish um, when you're an indie dev. Yeah. Recurrent themes. Unless you're like hooked up with a bigger publisher um, and they usually have the um, QA resources to help. Mm-hmm. And I'm presuming, like, are you are you doing the everything of this game yourself or is like Naka helping you out or is other people helping you out? In I need emotional support. <laughs> <laughs> Your emotional support and how do I program this? <laughs> um... So far, everything that I've done, I've done on my own. I am talking to a composer because I do not touch music. Um, the music that's in the game right now was procedurally generated, which I find it amazing that that's even a thing that can be done. Um, but it's definitely not the final music that I want in the game because it kind of sounds procedurally generated. Um, but I am talking to a composer... Um, who I won't name because we haven't officially, like, signed a thing that says it's official or anything yet. So everything but the music, basically, I'll be doing. That's a very common thing. Um, Usually when we get people who uh, have done a game from scratch, it's like if there's a part that they didn't do, it's the music because that's so out of their depth. But sometimes you've had people who've done the music as well. Yeah. I find that incredibly impressive, just that, like, breadth of skill set. Oh, indeed. Like, you know, it's like, um, though in the indie dev scene, you do tend to wear many hats. Yeah. It it is nowhere near as compartmentalized as the AAA development scene is, like, you know, you know, you have your engine developer, you have your modeler, you you have, you know, this, that, and the other thing. While the indie scene is much more like the old school days where your programmer is probably also your artist and your um, writer and your producer. Yeah, that's kind of one of the things that led me into independent design rather than sticking with the the modeling that I had been going to college for. Um, was I'm kind of that jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type person, and I knew that master-of-none was going to bite me in the butt once I 
tried to apply anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But well, I mean, uh, have you worked on other people's projects like freelancing? I do a bit of that sometimes, um, on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of just depends on on schedule. Like in October, I was preparing for GDEX, and I was not about to like divide my attention. Um, but I do take commissions. I take pixel art commissions and just like regular art commissions. And I do occasionally freelance on some other projects. Um, I don't know if any of them have released though. I I couldn't say because I don't know what you uh, like what uh, projects you might have worked on there. Um, I worked on, there's a game called Angry Hanger that I did a lot of the preliminary art for and then Visual Out just picked up to a pace where I couldn't, I couldn't work full time on their art anymore. Um, I'm actually not sure if they're continuing to use my assets or if they replaced them. (laughs) I haven't checked up on that and I kind of don't care, but they can do whatever. Um, The game is fun though. And there was another game, um, it was like a multiplayer wizard battling game that I I don't think ever oh, actually I remember released. that one. Yeah. They were cute. I they liked were, those. They were. I liked those sprites. I don't know what he did with that game. I want to know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> to Google. <laughs> um, let's see. Now, um, you do the... I believe you do the primary financing of Visual Out through Patreon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do have a Patreon that goes towards developing uh, Visual Out. And right now, we're like some some small, like, 20 or $30 away from the commissioned music or contracted music milestone. Mm-hmm. Well, what made you want to go with uh, Patreon versus, you know, a Kickstarter? Because it's... Like uh, it's very rare for me to see a game dev um, personality do a, you know, a Patreon versus you know, um, Indiegogo or Kickstarter or something like that. Yeah, I think um, I think I started my Patreon kind of when there was a rising stigma towards Kickstarters, which I mean, there's also a stigma towards Patreon, but that's kind of another story. Um, at the time, I was also doing monthly projects, like monthly games. And I hadn't yet started full-time work on Visual Out. Like, I think I started my Patreon in May, and I started working on Visual Out in August. Um, So in 2015, Patreon worked really well for me because I was doing monthly projects, and Patreon is on a monthly deliverable system. So it it worked out just from what I was already doing. Um, It's a bit harder now to... Um, structure the like paid deliverables um, while working on a full like a long term project, um, but stuff like early game builds and updates work pretty well for that. Well, would you ever consider doing a Kickstarter in the future? Um, maybe in the future, definitely not for visual out because I feel like Patreon and Kickstarter is a bit too much. Give me your money. Um, and I don't, I definitely don't want to like be that person. Um, but 
I think what what really concerns me about Kickstarter is, for one, there's that like risk of putting so much effort into Kickstarter and not getting any of that money, um, like falling short of your goal. Even like I, I've heard of a Kickstarter that fell like twenty five dollars short of their goal, and it was like, really? <laughs> you were so oh. close. Um, and also, I, there's that, like, you get that lump sum of money, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like it's uh, easier to budget when you're getting a consistent monthly income rather than, like, $50,000 in January and then fuck all for the rest of the year. That mm-hmm. does kind of make sense. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I agree. And we've certainly seen issues with, uh, you know, Kickstarter developers managing funds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then on the other side, there's the other issue, which is what if you're phenomenally successful and have added so many stretch goals that you have problems meeting your right or producing the things that you promised for your stretch goals, aka mm-hmm. Mighty Number no. Nine syndrome. Yeah, I still have a couple of Kickstarters or games that I kickstarted like in 2013 that I'm waiting on. It's kind of one of the rules of thumb when it comes to Kickstarter games. Expect at least one delay. Yeah. yeah. Really, don't the, expect a game. <laughs> expect that you're just going to give your money away. And hope. Like, well, that is one of the... the th- that's one of the things that's really... Uh, that's blighted the video game sector of Kickstarter. And I can tell you, this hasn't affected, like... Um, you want to see the um, opposition to this? It's the tabletop games. They're doing phenomenally well on Kickstarter. Like, they're breaking records left and right. It, yeah, I think it, that's one of the things I saw when I looked into Kickstarter initially was there aren't video games that are doing really well. It's the, the board games that are doing great. Right. Uh, though it's probably because it's easier to make a board game than it is to make a video game. Mm-hmm. It depends, because you, you have a lot of manufacturing that you have to... I mean, if you have, like, your manufacturing plan worked out, mm-hmm. then I suppose if you just need the money for it, then, yeah, that's that's easy. But I have um, one of my friends from college uh, successfully kickstarted his board game, and I think he's still having trouble with manufacturing. It's an incredibly complex game, but I think he's still having trouble manufacturing it. That would make sense, you know. It's like that is like one of that is also like one of the hangups on um, video game Kickstarters, whether or not you're offering like physical like um, there's been a lot of Kickstarters that uh, have run into problems in delivering physical goods because you know you have to make them and you have to ship them, especially Mm -hmm. international. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's like apparently for- shipping to Australia is a pain, according to the people at Desert Bus. Well, Australia is incredibly far away from everything else, including other parts of Australia. <laughs> like, but you know, it's also it's expensive. Like you know, shipping goods to um, Mexico or Japan or you know, so you know, it's a very nuanced issue. Uh, and, you know, it's not helped that, you know, stuff like Mighty Number no. 9 came out and just kind of soured the well. 
Now, it's like, I imagine things might pick up with Kickstarter um, once games like Ukulele and Bloodstained and Shenmue uh, 3 come out. Yeah, once there, once there are some major successes to help remind people that, you know, it is actually a platform that's capable of making big, good things as well as high-profile disasters. Yeah, that was another thing that, uh, that affected Kickstarter last year. Like, Kickstarter was actually trending downward already, but then you had a slew of high-profile projects, like just one after another, and that really, that kind of masked the downswing because you had, uh, like, all these projects breaking, you know, financial records and um, so on and so forth. And it's no surprise that, you know, we haven't really had any Kickstarters near the caliber of, uh, you know, what happened last year. And uh, so, of course, it's uh, been on a downward spiral. And... And then you, you have this new uh, platform called Fig. I'm like, uh, I'm not sure how familiar people are with Fig, but um, this is a new uh, crowdsourcing platform. You know, it's the thing that um, launched Psychonauts 2. And, um, That's the one that lets you, if you want to, instead of the traditional mm-hmm. rewards, you can also purchase a stake in the final product, right? Right. This, this is an actual investment platform. And there's been a lot of chatter in, uh, in uh, one of my friend circles about Fig because, uh, you know, because of how much you need to, in, like, not only how much you need to invest, uh, but what is the ROI, the return on investment? And from what, I, from what I've seen, the, uh, the return on investment on a, uh, on a Fig game isn't good. Like, mm-hmm. if you're in a... Or hasn't been so far. Yeah, well, it's projected to not be good. Like, um, it's more if you're fearing, feeling, feeling charitable, and if you like want, say, Psychonauts two to happen, then yeah, invest your money. But if you're an actual investor, this is a good investment platform. No, thank you. But uh, anyway, uh, so uh, you're the uh, Visual Arts also the first game I've seen that you've been trying to get on Steam, correct? Yeah, it actually got through uh, Greenlight, so it's been greenlit. Oddly enough, on Election Night? <laughs> I don't know why Valve thought Election Night was a good time to greenlight a batch of games, but that happened. They probably didn't expect it to be as big of a deal as it ended up being. <laughs> I don't well, know. Uh, believe me, we Election had our... Night's going to be a big deal one way or the other. Well, True. it's like a funny story on our end. Um, the day after election night, we had to do a show, and we interviewed Obsidian about a game called Tyranny. Oh. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> that's not irony. That's uh, that's being apropos. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, my... It's dramatic irony where things line up in a way that you wouldn't expect them to, or never wanted to. Yeah. yeah. But you know, we're not MSP, so uh, let's not get on a political thing. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was visual. It was greenlit. It took about two weeks. I think a lot of that time was just waiting because the way Valve greenlights games is kind of weird. Um, they seem to do it in batches. Mm-hmm. Like they'll they'll greenlight like a hundred something games at once, 
Although, like, they'll, they'll greenlight the odd game here and there that's just doing phenomenally, but for the most part, they just do it in one large batch. So I think a lot of that time that Visual Out was in limbo was just waiting for them to do another batch. Right, and um, have you looked into getting your game onto, like, GOG or the Humble Bundle? Um, not so far. I'm sure in due time, like, yeah. people, like, not surprisingly, people tend to go to Steam first and then the other um, platforms later, mm-hmm. especially since, like, GOG is a lot more closed than Steam is these days. Yeah, I'm not sure I'll target um, GOG, but uh-huh. I I may at one point, you know, look into doing a Humble Bundle. I don't know how you even go about doing that. I haven't looked into that yet, but I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Hmm. Makes sense. Um, and uh, are you developing visual out strictly for, say, Windows, or are you, like, doing it for all the computer platforms? Um, Construct does easily export to um, Mac and Linux as well as Windows. Um although I won't have a particularly easy way to test, especially on Mac. I don't have a Mac. So I can export, but I will probably have to, like, borrow a friend's computer or, you know, commandeer their time or something to even test if it works. Um, Because I've had some of my other games, like Fragile Fragile Soft Machines is on all three platforms, or all three uh, operating systems, and I've had a couple of problems with, um, Linux and Mac. So I'll do my best for all three operating systems, but um, I only know for sure that it'll work on Windows. Hmm. Um, I'm also looking into getting it on Xbox One. I'm not sure if I'll target a Nintendo platform because obviously, you know, the the Switch has already been announced, so the Wii U is kind of well, I'll say it outright, um, target the Switch. Like, um, it it depends on if they, uh, if they support well, HTML5 easily. Yeah, again, Sony, we, don't, we don't know doesn't. enough about the Switch to know whether it would be a good match is the thing, really, right? I'm, I'm speaking more in terms of, you know, um, the dying system versus the shiny new system. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure I wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be worth my time to port yeah. to um, Wii U, but... Not at this point. I no. mean, uh, well, I mean, like, for example, um, uh, Stardew Valley, uh, they just canceled the Wii U version in favor of a uh, Switch version. Because, that makes sense. Yeah, like, like, and I expect this to happen more and more. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like, it's obvious why. You know, it's like the, yeah. the Wii U is on its way out. Uh, the Switch is coming in March. And, um, you know, it makes more sense to get on board the, you know, get on board the new system, especially while it's barren. You know, like, yeah. you know, it's like, I'll be honest, I don't know how that, how that stuff works because, you know, we, we've never had, we've never really dealt with Nintendo. Um, and we wouldn't know the policies, but I'm sure there. I'm sure there's a way, like a way to contact them and find out mm-hmm. uh, kind of details. I'm like, 
Yeah, with I, I mean the the Wii U supports uh, games made in Construct. There's kind of a a bit of a hack job you've got to do, but it, it supports it. Um, so, I mean, it looks it looks uh, promising that it would also the Switch would also support games made in this engine, but we'll see. Yeah, um, we'll we'll find out in January. January is like uh, what is twelfth that they're doing the Switch thing? Something like that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I think that's about it. Uh. Currently, unless my contemporaries here have uh, questions of their own they wish to ask you. Um. I don't. Um. I think I'm good. I'm curious to see how the game comes out. Thanks. I'm good too. I'm, I'm looking forward to the game. Oh, thank you. All right. Uh, all right. So um, that'll about do it for our interview portion. Uh, thank you, uh, Diane, for coming out and taking time out of your schedule to uh, be with us this week. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. I'm looking forward to the game as well, and I'm looking forward to eventually reviewing it. I think the whole movie <laughs> here is <laughs> like. And um, uh, also, Naka, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, no problem. Yeah. Um, so the game is visual out. Um, it's currently projected to come out spring 2017. Uh, date subject to change. Uh, any details on pricing yet? Um, not that I am willing. Not that I'm ready to announce. Fair enough. All right. So keep an it's eye out. It's going to be out. a million dollars. Yes. All of your <laughs> money's. All right, um, Petty Fan, play us to the next segment. All right, so welcome to the topic of discussion. Um, This week we're talking about um, AAA games and the holiday season. Um, It's the best we could come up with on short notice. Now, this is kind of what mm-hmm. happens if you take a week off. Mm-hmm. Like, um, anyway, so this all stems from an article um, about GameSpot or a GameStop. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that one anagram. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me that's, been tripping me, uh, that's been tripping me up for um, a long time. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so games, uh, GameStop ha- uh, put out a report um early in the month mentioning that um uh a slew of tr- uh big triple a titles have underperformed um they specifically uh Titanfall 2 and Gears of War 4 uh as uh I think Mafia 3 was on that list as well now this is mostly just they're they're underperforming at GameStop right um, I I would imagine that that reflects GameStop's sales. Um, there are a few trackers of this. Um, the big one is called the MPD Group. Um, they're the like they're the big aggregate out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it's worth noting that you know this was October sales. This isn't in, like this isn't factoring um, November sales. Mm-hmm. And keep like this is like this is the month with the big, um, um, with the with the big sales things. 
Yeah. Black Friday is a thing. Yes. Um, and, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so, and, and a new story, by the way, um, it's like, you know, I, I, I've heard this kind of story of, you know, AAA games underperforming for about 15 years uh-huh. or however long, like, okay, but yeah, concern here is where video games are now, because remember, we're, we're living in the world of more choice than ever when it comes to gaming. You know, it's like, and, you know, certain people have been using, uh, you know, the idea that certain games have been underperforming as a continuing narrative of, a, you know, the death of AAA gaming, the death of consoles, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and the reason why I asked that question is because I think, to some extent, it's probably a lot of it is just as much about video gaming specifically from brick-and-mortar stores as it is from... Right, and that's always been, like... And the the answer to that question seems to be... We don't know yet um, how much the um, the sales of digital uh di- digital games is offsetting um re- retail shrinkage on console on pc it's a different story like um on pc everything's pretty much um digital these days at mm-hmm. least in north america like it's a bit different in europe like europe still has um enough of a physical market where um they will release um, games physically that they wouldn't do over here. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll probably see in November sales, Black Friday is probably the biggest exception to the current situation in right. the U.S. Right, and uh, you know, not all big games had come out by that by October point. Yeah, you know, like keep in mind, like you know, we hadn't seen the release of say Final Fantasy 15 that just came out. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know, uh, and, you know, not every game failed for the same reason. And I want to uh, take a look at a specific example here. Titanfall 2. All right, like, Titanfall 2 has been one of the big um, crashes of the season. Uh, that doesn't seem to be in doubt. Like, it's done pretty terribly. And the question mm-hmm. is, well, the answer can be found in the fact that it came out a week after Battlefield 1. And a week before, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. Yeah, that was not a good... Uh, what's the no. name? Not, not a good release calendar arrangement for any of those games, I don't think. Well, it's like... Um, well, traditionally, Battlefield and Call of Duty come out near around the same time because, duh. Yeah, yeah but, but you don't need to add a third thing. Well, yeah, that's more yeah. of the issue here. Well, yeah, the issue here is Titanfall 2 coming out. Like, especially since it's a, it was a game published by EA. Like, EA also is the publisher of Battlefield 1. I'm like, I, I understand that there's a bit of a thematic difference between the two games, but, you know, mechanically, not that much. They're both FPSs. 
I don't know what you're talking about. I definitely require uh, remember a large number of giant robot fights in World War One. Uh, and parkour. I didn't know stupid jetpack Hitler extended that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, it's like in the case of Titanfall two failing, it's kind of obvious. It's like, all right, you you know you put this against some of the biggest games of the season and it crashed. It's like fucking duh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think another game that I've seen has been underperforming is Watch Dogs 2. And, you know, it's like, you know, the concern there is, I'm like, if Watch Dogs 2 is um, failing, why? Because if you don't know, Watch Dogs 2 stars a protagonist, um, a black guy. You know, mm. it's like, you know, um, as far as, like, that and Mafia 3 are, like, the big... Um, POC um, um, AAA game releases this year, and mm-hmm. you know I've seen I, I've seen uh, like I think GameStop said um, Mafia Three underperformed, but I think I also saw that um, um, Mafia Three actually did really well from Take Two's point of view. Like they said, it was like a fat. Uh, I think it sold like four, four point five mil. Like, um, mm. gonna have to look this up. So, uh, take take two mafia resale. Because well, and also the issues around Watchdogs one probably didn't help Watchdogs two a whole lot. Right. Not the reality. Yeah, I, I'm like I saw the UK num like the UK numbers for Watchdog uh, Watchdogs two and they were pretty abysmal. Of course, the you know the UK gaming scene isn't the US gaming scene, so that needs to be taken into account. Um, yeah, so Mafia Three has shipped 4.5 million copies, not sold. Like shipped is not sold. Shipped is um, what they ship to retailers. Yeah, sold shipped, is shipped is the number that the company that produces it has sold to the stores that will then sell it to the customers. But also, I believe there are provisions in effect where they can sell it back if it doesn't sell enough. Right. And um, that's something that's been tripping up people for ages. I'm like, if they say shipped, um, that's a different metric than sold. Like, you want to see sold. Like, Mm -hmm. just because they've shipped 4.5 copies of uh, Mafia 3 does not mean they have sold all of them. Like, but it seems to be the they also TK uh, says it's the fastest selling game in 2K Games history. So it's uh, I'm like it's like Mafia Three seems to be doing well. Like in, in spite of um, what maybe GameStop is saying. Like um, on the other hand, you, you know you have um, maybe big games that um, were never going to do well, like say World of Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know it's like. You know, it's a Final Fantasy spinoff, but I don't, you know, I don't think that was that big of a game. Yeah, um, that was more of a side game because, you know, fifteen uh, is a coming. Yeah, I'm like, and um, one of the biggest efforts this holiday season has um, been VR, um, specifically PlayStation VR. And I think there was a, I'm like, 
there was a report um, released today by a company called Superdata that said VR has been the biggest loser this holiday season. I am like, fine with this. Yeah. Um, like, okay, thanks to notably fewer units sold than expected due to the rel- relatively fragmented uh, title lineup and a modest marketing effort. VR headsets are now expected to sell even fewer than previously thought. Superdata revised forecast for 2016 calls for under 750,000 PlayStation VR units sold. The previous estimate was 2.6 million. Ouch. Mm-hmm. With Google's Daydream selling just uh, 261,000, down from 450,000. Um, previous estimates for the HTC Vive, Oculus Rift, and Gear VR remained unchanged at 450k, 355k, and 2.3 million. And that's not surprising. When you get down yeah, to- VR VR will continue to have problems as long as they're heavily fragmented in terms of hardware and. So it's not just that, but you know, it, it, it's like the people who drank the VR Kool Aid just, you know, and who said it was going to be the next big thing and it was going to take over everything just didn't take into account the fact that um, this shit isn't affordable at all. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, especially the PC stuff. Like, like um, the cheapest computer to run VR I've seen is still over eight hundred dollars. Right. And that's not including the what, seven hundred for a headset? Well and, and it's also that VR is inherently restrictive because you've got to wear those fucking goggles and you've got to have the you know, like the motion controllers or whatever to really get the most out of it. And there are different kinds of VR. Like if you're trying to do room scale VR, oh my God, you mm-hmm. you need a lot. Yeah, if you have room scale VR, connect syndrome. Yeah, if you need a big room. Yeah, if you have room scale VR, you are by by necessity targeting a certain variety of person who has a certain quality of life where they can afford to have a large empty room in their house for no reason other than VR. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or else it's just going to go into a closet and never be used except on very rare occasions, like the connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, they all, and there's also no, there's no game that set, that re, that it really screams, I must play this in VR. I mean, th- there have been good VR experiences, like um, Job Simulator comes to mind, and Abduction. But, you know, here, like, here, like one of the reasons why, and we, we talked about this when we talked about Wii Sports, but one of the big reasons why the Wii motion controller took over the world for a few years there was because it was, it was cheap, accessible, and had a killer app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and compared to the other one, you don't need that much room for that. Yeah, literally, you just need about as far as your arms can reach. I mean, you need enough room that you don't accidentally throw your Wiimote through the TV, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, slap Grandma in the face with it. Yeah. Right. And, um... So it's not surprising that VR um, would be selling a lot more modestly than it projected. Plus, there's a certain certain segment of the population that just will never get into VR because VR gives them headaches. Yo. (laughs) Or they have glasses that aren't compatible with, like, 90% of VR headsets. Again, yo. (laughs) On the other hand, um, like, um, Battlefield 1 apparently had the biggest opening ever for, uh, for the series. On the other other hand, 
Um, Call of Duty Infinite, War Down, uh, Infinite Warfare is way down from last year's Black Ops 3. Like, hmm, one of those, hmm, something to be said about the different genres that are being developed and how tired certain things are, so. Well, yeah, well, yeah. well and um, speaking of which, perhaps the, uh, like, um, perhaps the biggest loser, uh, even more so than VR's Toys to Life. Yeah, I heard so, Skyland isn't doing very well, and Disney closed the Toys to Life yeah, studio. Yeah, Disney Infinity's been canceled. Um, uh, and there aren't any, there aren't any new amiibos coming out uh, right now. Here's, here's the thing about Skylanders. Skylanders may be dead. Like a uh, report that came out like just a few days ago that apparently Skylanders Imaginators um, massively undersold. And, and keep in mind that you know Skylanders Superchargers didn't do so hot either. Um, it's been reported that Skylanders 2017 has been canceled. And, that's you know, unfortunate, or for them at least. Well, I like Skylanders, but yeah, it's part of the issues. It got too expensive. Well, it's also um, Skylanders has been going on since 2011, nonstop. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so um, it's been five years of Skylanders, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, the last new thing was Superchargers, and the driving wasn't that great. Well, it, the series seems to have gone downhill starting the trap team. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that's when they really started losing uh, ideas. Well, yeah. The, yeah. If you if you look at the development of the series, it's Skylanders, the game where you play with little toys, and then it became, after a certain point, it's Skylanders, the game where you play with the little to- figures of the cute characters, and then also there are these things that they have to use to that are accessories, and then there are these things for them to ride. Well, it went from Skylanders to Giants, which has had the big figures that were really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, third one... But those are still basically... Yeah, they still work as regular Skylanders. You can just use them to get through, um, like, special giant areas. Um, I think next was Swap Force, which was the ones where you can have special Skylanders that you can, like, swap the top and bottom of. Mm-hmm. And then I think after that was Trap Team, then Superchargers, and then um, whatever this new one is. But yeah, I think Imag- part of the part of the issue. Yeah, Imaginators. Is some of them are figures of characters that are kind of cool, and the other ones are kind of like figures of. I mean, Trap Team is the worst at this. They're little. They're boring looking things. Hmm. Well, there's the traps, and then they have the actual trap characters. They're weird. It's also worth noting that um, the Skyline um, series premiered on Netflix um, recently. And apparently that's um, not gotten the eyeballs either. So, right. Yeah, so the upshot is um, Skylanders may not be a thing anymore. And so that, that'll leave the toys to light down to Lego Dimensions, um, which is still getting support, by the way. And yeah, Lego well, Dimensions, Lego. yeah, Lego Dimensions has the strong advantage of it's also toys that are just—I mean, they're Legos. Exactly. I think you can actually pop them off the base and use them as Lego minifigs. Don't yeah, quote me on that. I don't have that. You can, but here, here's the thing about Lego Dimensions—they're the most expensive of them all. Oh like, yeah, well, that's that's oh, the other that's the other factor of them being Legos. Yeah, no shit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, like Lego. And, and, you sell us your soul, and you might get a minifig. 
and yeah, the Amiibos are still around, like, but, uh, you know, like, the Amiibos have an advantage in the fact that they're not tied to any specific game, you know, I, I mean, they, you know, you have, like, the Smash series and the Mario Party series and what have you, but, you know, you can use different Amiibos for different games. I yeah, can use a Smash an Amiibo in Mario Party. Yeah, having an Amiibo tied to a franchise or a system is different than having an Amiibo tied to one game. Like, for example, my Nintendo Amiibos from Superchargers, I can't use, if I ever get the PlayStation version of it, I can't use them. Right. Yeah, but, like, my... And I don't think Crash can be used in the other version, but don't quote me on that. Crash whereas, can. whereas Amiibo oh, can Crash be used can. for multiple games. Crash actually can be used um, on, like, the Wii U version of Imaginators. Um, it's just You just have to buy him loose, because he comes in the PS4 bar- bundle? Yeah, I believe that's the case. Yeah. All right, because, so, yeah, because Bowser and um, Donkey Kong came in the Wii bundle, so I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, no, like, Nintendo's intellectual property isn't showing up on a Sony pack. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the world would burn first. Yeah, well, um... Now, um, in regards to Nintendo, not surprising. They've gotten, uh, you know, the big boost uh, from Sun and Moon. Like, apparently it's the fastest-selling Pokemon title to date. I read something about the fastest-selling Nintendo game. It could be that. I just um, read that. The point is the Pokemon Go effect is strong with this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, um, we're going to see if that's going to hold true with um, Super Mario Run. Like, that's coming out next month. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as far as the Wii U goes, um, it, it's dead in the water. Like, you know, the last big exclusive was released um, a month ago in uh, Super, you know, in Paper Mario uh, Color Splash. Mm-hmm. Which I think has done okay-ish for a Wii U game. I don't think it really matters how it, uh, how it was going to do. Like, it, it's just a project that was in development and um, just... And they, I guess Nintendo needed something for the Wii U. Yeah. Like, I, I believe I've been hearing rumors that Breath of the Wild will be the last official Wii U game from Nintendo. Uh, that's looking likely. Like, uh, you know, everyone's done with the Wii U. Like, outside of, like, a few um, third-party development projects. Like, there might still be some virtual console stuff coming to the Wii U, but, like, yeah, the AAA say, stuff probably is done. Yeah, virtual console stuff seems to be uh, still coming out at a regular grip, which makes sense. Um, like, because, you know, there's nowhere else to take that. Like, you know, right. even if, you know, that, that's one of the big questions around the Switch right now. What's the virtual console going to look like uh, on if that? If anything. There's going to be a virtual console there. Well, yeah. They've had a virtual console on everything since the Wii. Right. Although, although the Wii, the virtual console on the Wii and the virtual console on the Wii U have been significantly different in terms of oh. amount and stuff. So it is. It would be interesting to see. Is this going to be another one where they get very slow uh, and fairly few releases, or is this going to be one where they get like tons of ones including some really obscure games um don't know yet it, it's like but um finally we'll, we'll end this on um like 
one of the hottest ticket items this season is the Nintendo um, Mini System. Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah that, you that, mean that, the people, people, mm, the one that people uh, got the brawls over? Yeah. yeah, that that was, and the the sad thing is, it probably would have been just as hot if they actually had made a good number. Yeah, no shit. I'm flashbacks of the when the Wii came out are still strong. Yeah, uh, I'm like <laughs> Nintendo. Like, it's not that simple. Like, I, I I get why. Um, here here's the thing: if you oversell something. Um, that means you get unwanted inventory. Mm-hmm. Um, unwanted inventory leads to buybacks and um, pissed off retailers. Yeah. Um, and, and Nintendo has actually gotten burned on this in some regards. Like uh, Amiibos. Like, no, you know, not all Amiibos sold well. And in fact, they massively oversold some of them. That being... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the ones they thought were going to do well didn't, and the ones they didn't think were going to do well, well... Right. That being They're now said, some of the most valuable Amiibos of all time. That being said, the gym position had a really good layout of how Nintendo really bungled uh, the whole business here. Because and I do think that kind of uh, accurately pinned down that they are treating um, certain aspects of their business, including the Nintendo Mini and Amiibos, as if they're more like a toy company than an electronics company with the ignorance of the fact that rare toys... Or have different, um, right? The idea of a rare toy, the impact of a rare toy versus a rare electronics thing is very different, right? On the or market. I'll say, or I'll give another perspective on this. Um, if or they could have legitimately not known how, uh, the demand of for the uh, NES Mini. Yeah, because let's be honest, you could easily rec- replicate this with a Raspberry Pi and a custom housing unit for like twenty bucks. Yeah, but and the let me pie is thirty. Let yeah. me finish. Um, but here's the thing: that means Nintendo failed to do its market research. Like mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing you're supposed to find out before you release something. Mm-hmm. But, and you know, and there seems to be a question why the NES Mini is so hot. Uh, it, 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 part of it is nostalgia, yes, because uh, like NES nostalgia is very in right now. But it's not just that. Um, you got to understand how unique the, N- the NES Mini is. It's not just like the first um, retro console. Um, it's, a, it's a retro console literally from Nintendo. It's not one of these third-party um, jigs that are terrible. Like, this is from Nintendo, and from what I've seen, it works. Its emulation is really good. Mm-hmm. Hell, it's better than the... Hell, it's better than the Wii U's emulation. But that's down to who did the emulation itself. Uh, you know, it's like a company called Nerd did the emulation on the NAS Mini. Uh, not sure who did the uh, emulation on the Wii U, but um, they didn't do a terribly good job there in regards to the NES. So, the, like, the point is, that, you know, this, this isn't something that Nintendo licensed out to um, some some third party who just slapped together something um, for 20 bucks and call it a day. Like there, There's a lot of Sega consoles like uh, like mm-hmm. oh, well, hang on, Penny Fang drops. Yeah, he'll be back. We just need to not end the show until he's back. Right. Um, but the, you know, the point is 
Um, if Nintendo didn't know, then they didn't do their market research. Yeah, and that wouldn't have been hard market research to do. No. It's like... And... It's also... We don't know how easy it is for Nintendo to set these things together. Like, you know, Nintendo isn't going to sacrifice quality uh, quantity. You know, I think they made that abundantly clear, considering, you know, they've had, like, single shipments to, like, target. Yeah, there's there's no excuse for the ridiculously small amount of yeah. NES yeah. minis, though. Uh-huh. Yeah, and like you know, I could see I, I if it was like at least fifty per store or something like that. Yeah, I think I've generally heard that there have not been any stores that had more than ten. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, uh, yeah. So okay. Good uh, I was concerned that someone had dropped or something, but no. Yeah, the same. I was about to say something. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so who knows when the supply of the NES Mini is going to be um, good? Could be. I would imagine it. Yeah, it's probably going to be after the holidays. You know, mm-hmm. but I mean that, that, that you know if this is an artificial shortage, then it, it fails because you know. People are buying this for the holidays, you know, and in January, sales aren't going to be quite as risk. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so that's something to keep in mind. And as far as the full scope of what um, has done well and what will underperform, that isn't really going to be known until January, because right. you know Christmas goes up till December twenty fifth, and then you have the um, and then you have post Christmas. Sales, right? You know, getting rid of all that unwanted stock. So, uh, we may revisit this subject in January. We may not. I, it depends on where we are. Yeah. Um. So, but that, that's kind of the scope of things as they lie at this particular moment in time. Uh, and I think that'll about do it for this discussion. Uh, outside of uh, final thoughts from you guys. Um, uh, the crypto market isn't dead. Like, not even by a long shot. Mobile isn't taking over. You're delusional. <laughs> yeah, I do think that this is another thing to keep an eye on in terms of the prospects of brick-and-mortar retail, though, because that's right. definitely part of it. Like, yeah, I personally like getting my games physical, but I can see the convenience of digital. And I have a couple of friends who work for them, but I have little sympathy for GameStop with their uh, general business practices and stuff, so. Yeah, same. Right. Also, do, not so, do not underestimate the power of nostalgia. <laughs> so, um, that'll about do it for this week. Um, yeah, in case you didn't know, Naka and Barry had to leave um, <laughs> during the transition because uh-huh. um, Naka had worked. Uh, tomorrow. Um, but yeah, um, you know, as far as when Naka's going to be on the show again, um, maybe when Madam Barry uh, has a new project, um, don't know. 
Right. Or maybe when hell freezes over and Wolgaia actually gets close to release. Hey. Right. <laughs> oh, we joked. Oh, yeah, I had uh, some nature joking about that. But anyway, so coming up uh, in the next week, uh, we have reviews of Dragon Ball Xenoverse 2, and we have review a review of a game called I've been playing a few hours. Uh, I've been playing a bit of Townsman, and um, uh, my thoughts are, I'm kind of two minds with this game. I think I've played about enough of, of it to get a really good stock of what it is. It's a city-building uh, management game. It comes from mobile. Um, short thoughts are it's a lot better than I expected, but it, it hits some of the uh, genre problems pretty hard. More on that on Sunday. Um, and coming up next week in interviews, uh, currently we have um, on Tuesday, December 6th, we have Philip Roth of Nordic Games. Uh, they may be sending a, a different representative. Um, I guess I should say a THQ Nordic now, because they recently um, adopted the THQ name. Um, Buffalo Bill style. <laughs> some, uh, something like that. Like, <laughs> But uh, the point is, um, we're going we're going to be talking about Dark Siders War Mastered Edition. That is a um, take. <laughs> yeah, it's a remastered version of Dark Siders One that just hit the PlayStation Four and the Xbox One and uh, hit the PC today. Um, it's a free upgrade if you have the game, and I'm going to make a recommendation and you buy uh, the War Mastered Edition like right now. Or yeah, like, I've actually games. played through Darksiders on PC. It's rock solid. I don't know about the War Mastered Edition, but the yeah, at least original game is rock solid on PC. Well, you can't get the original version of it. Like, well, yeah. It's been replaced by the War Mastered Edition. But the point is, it's 80% off of, uh, on Steam right now. It's four bucks. Like, uh, and I've made the, the same recommendation to my uh, team here, because I don't know... If they'll uh, send any uh, Warmaster codes, they might. I haven't, like, they still need to confirm that they're showing up next week. That's yeah. where I am with them. So um, the point is, uh, I have the game so we can, you know, and Petty Fan has the game so we can review it in January. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, on the main show next week, um, John Pickett of Manga Gamer is returning. I think this is going to be his fourth time. Two more, and he gets a free Sunday. Yeah, like uh, he's, he's second on our most um, visited uh, dead list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, and um, we're going to be talking about a game called The Stargazer, another visual novel. Like, um, I believe this involves lesbians. Oh boy! Like, so yeah. I, I I haven't played the uh, the visual novel yet. We just got it today. No, I, in fact, I handed out some codes right before the show started. So, mm-hmm. more on that next week. And uh, that'll about do it for uh, schedule announcements. So, oh, right. One thing. Friday, Golix, Twilight, and I will be doing a multiplayer session of Xenoverse 2 on my Twitch. Right. Um, Whether we make something more of that, I don't know. People need to be talked to, or at least reply to me, so stay tuned. I'm not doing it because not only have I not unlocked multiplayer, I've been having some problems with Xenoverse 2 
Um, it's been running really inconsistently. But yeah. sometimes, it runs, sometimes it runs perfectly fine. Sometimes it's slow, like I'm moving underwater. So yeah, it's and from I, what I've seen on the some of the Steam forums, it doesn't like mobile hardware that much. Yeah. So it's too inconsistent for me to say I'm going to do multiplayer on this. Yeah. Oh. I mean, worst thing, he might be laughing at us on my Twitch chat. Possibly, but um, so keep an eye out on that on Friday. Um, and also, um, Naka does Fragment Fridays, but you guys probably know that. So, um, until next time, uh, I wish you good game. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.